0: Well, we're gonna read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. You'll find Revelation chapter one on page 1028 of the Blue Pew Bibles. Revelation chapter one, we're gonna read this whole chapter together, and then later in our service, Richard is gonna be speaking to us from it. Uh, Revelation chapter one, it's page 1028 of our Pew Bibles. And as we read this part of the Bible, we remember that it's God's living word to us. It's living, it's active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. So Revelation chapter 1, page 1028 of the Pew Bibles. And we're beginning at verse 1 and reading the whole chapter together. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion for forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning.
1: Encourage you to take uh, your Bibles and to turn back to Revelation chapter one. And as you do so, let me pray that God would speak to us this morning. Lord God, we pray that by your spirit, you will open our hearts and our minds and our ears. That we would see jesus from these pages that we would hear jesus speak to us clearly and that our hearts would believe and trust in him more for we pray this in jesus name amen glory is a very difficult thing to try and define Um, Growing up and having been to Old Trafford I heard the wonderful cries of glory glory Man United uh, as the theatre of dreams filled with fans with red shirts crying out for the glory that was sure to be ours but now that cry rings kind of hollow in the theatre of dreams doesn't it? There's not much to say glory about anything. When you think about glory, you might think about, if you're like me and you're a big fan of Bruce Springsteen, you might think about his song Glory Days. They'll pass you by the glory days and the wink of a young girl's eyes. Glory days. And he talks about a girl he bumps into and the way that her life has fallen apart since high school and the glory days. And the guy who was fantastic at baseball in high school and now he's not able to play anymore and he never made it. He never got to the big leagues. And you think about the glory days. And we can be just as guilty of thinking about glory days in the church. There's many times and many conversations I've had with people and they talk about how it was back when. Back when the churches were full. Back when everybody went. Back when everybody knew their Bibles back to front and forward and back again. And we can have this idea about glory. But just like Man United and just like Bruce Springsteen and just like sometimes we can lament in the churches, the glory all seems to be behind us. And we forget the very vision of Jesus who is risen and glorious and stands right in front of us. And so that's what we're going to concentrate here on our our brief time together this morning. These verses from verse 9 and forwards as we consider the glory of Jesus and who he is. I mean, John, when he's writing this letter, and the whole book of Revelation is a letter. We'll get to look at letters addressed specifically to specific churches in the weeks that I'm with you, but he's writing an entire book which is one letter which would be read by all the churches and he's writing the churches which are impoverished, that have their backs up against the wall, that are frightened and fearful, they're persecuted, members of the church have been dragged into the streets and murdered, they are experiencing the very things that many of our brothers and sisters in this world today experience encourage you to go home and look up the Barnabas Trust or the Open Doors website and to read of what it is that it means to be a Christian in some of the parts of our world and understand that this is the very environment which the book of Revelation is written. And here is John who is our companion in suffering. John is the last of the disciples and he is exiled onto the island of Patmos, kind of like an ancient day Alcatraz. And from this place where they think that they have bound and captured the greatest and most effective witness for the gospel and put him in chains, the word of God is not bound. And Jesus comes in a vision to see John. And John, when he's writing this, notice he doesn't say, John, the last of the apostles, John, by the authority that God has given me. Verse 9, he says, I, John, your brother, one of you, your partner, In the tribulation in the suffering and your partner in the kingdom and the patient endurance he hasn't lowered his position over anybody he's right there in the midst of the suffering with them for the churches that he writes to and the tortures that they're living through he's numbering himself as one of them he's right there in the midst of it and he's right there with them and so into this john writes and he has a vision of jesus because what these churches need with their backs against the wall and in their, in their impoverished state is not a cash flow injection to make everything better. Jesus doesn't come to them like Oprah Winfrey saying, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Nor does Jesus come to them and say, I'm going to lift you out of your suffering right now and I'm going to take it away and make everything better instantly. Instead, what Jesus says the church requires is a much bigger vision of Jesus and sometimes we can be very guilty of having a pocket-sized vision of Jesus we take Jesus out whenever we need him Lord I really need a car parking spot right now or I'm going to be late Lord something really bad has just happened I need to I need to speak to you and so like a genie in a lamp we take him out and we ask him for what we need and then whenever we've got what we need we put him back in again and we forget about him We don't reckon with the glory that is befitting to him and for who he really is. And so this vision of Jesus comes to us and it's stark and it's an incredible vision and it's a vision which makes John fall flat on his face in front of Jesus in worship as though he were dead. John, who had spent three years following Jesus in his ministry, listening to every word that Jesus said, watching everything that Jesus did, following him. And on the night that he was betrayed, laid back with his head upon Jesus's chest and spoke with him as someone who knew Jesus intimately and as a close friend, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And yet when he sees Jesus, he doesn't go, Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. Wow, have things gone really badly for us. I really need you to do this, 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 and this, and this. In confronting John, uh, uh, by Jesus confronting John, John falls flat on his face in worship. This is the Jesus that we need to have in our minds when we consider who he is and what he does. And so here now we turn in verse 12 and we see that John turns round to see the voice that was speaking to him. So John is not having a, a, a delusion He's not sitting there having any fanciful thoughts in his mind. This is happening outside of John that he has to turn around and see who is speaking to me at this moment. And he turns around and we're told what he sees. He sees seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man. He's standing there and he sees him. And this is bringing to his mind the the, the vision of Daniel. When he looked and in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus, full of glory, power, majesty, strength and Honor stands in the midst of the seven lump stands. Jesus, alive and well, stands in the midst of his churches. He has not abandoned them, nor will he ever forsake them. As he stood to his disciples at the Great Commission and said, Never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. There he stands in the midst of his churches. Jesus, who was born Emmanuel, God with us, did not cease to be Emmanuel when he ascended on high, but he continues to be Emmanuel in the midst of us that hebrews tells us that when we stand to sing jesus is the one who leads us in our worship and sets the tone of our singing that he is in the midst of us this morning that he is arisen alive and well son of man god himself and so just like when you turn around and you look at somebody the very first thing that you realize is what they're wearing For if you turn round and somebody speaks to you and you turn around and you see them wearing a green uniform with a little cap on top and you go, that's a police officer, suddenly in the back of your head you go, oh no, I've done something wrong. The peelers are here. I've done something. Something's wrong, especially whenever you're driving your car at night and suddenly the blue flashing light goes on behind you and you go, do I pull over or do I not? If I don't pull over, it's worse, right? So should I just pull over anyway and let them drive past me? And you have that moment. You realize you're in trouble, maybe. Depends how guilty your conscience is. And then you might turn around and you might see someone in a white coat and a stethoscope and you go, oh, it's a doctor. A doctor needs something. And you turn around. By what they're wearing, you recognize who they are and you assess the situation based on what they're wearing. And when he sees Jesus, he sees one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash over his chest. He's dressed in a long white robe robe which highlights his purity his holiness Jesus wearing a golden sash is something of a king what a king would wear he is the great high priest of heaven who unites together the people of God and God himself he is the mediator who stands between us and the divine and so what does he look like now we begin to get some physical descriptions of Jesus. You can read the Gospels and you will never ever get a physical description of Jesus. But in Revelation, here we see what Jesus looks like. Now, this is where I have to caution you. Please do not Google um, the pictures that you see in Revelation. Do you know why? Because you're not supposed to see this. John is using a lot of language like a teenage girl. You know, and I was like, going like, and he was like, and I was like, and this was like, and that was like, and this was like, and that was like. And that piling on of like, 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 like is the way that John is writing. So when he describes Jesus, he uses a lot of metaphorical language. He says what something is like, not what something necessarily is. And so he stands there, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like the flame of fire. And this is a sign of honour and wisdom. Good news, gentlemen, that if you have white hair, she's actually, I would say ladies, but I feel more cautious saying that one Um, but good news for you gray-haired fellows amongst us we'll say that will we that that's a sign of wisdom and you can wear it with pride this is why just for men will never touch this hair and I will always go gray and I will say that it is a sign of wisdom and that I have earned this through my life but Daniel in his vision says as I looked the thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took a seat And then he tells us what the Ancient of Days looked like. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. The Son of Man looks like the Ancient of Days. One would almost think that we're dealing with two persons who are the one and the same being, which would be very interesting, wouldn't it? The Ancient of Days means that he's been around to see it all, that he's seen the fall of the Babylonian Empire in Daniel's day. He lived to see the fall of the Roman Empire, He has seen the fall of every single empire that has ever graced this earth and every empire that ever will grace this earth. That the ancient of days has seen it all before. He has seen them come and seen them go. Think of the wonderful reign of Queen Elizabeth. And what was she able to provide every prime minister that came quacking in front of her with a new crisis? What was the words that she comforted them with? I've seen these things come and I've seen these things go. And they have come and they have gone a crisis today is not to be panicked about when you sit upon an eternal throne nothing takes you by surprise and you know that for the moment it might be important but in the scheme of an eternity it will pass there have been wars and rumors of wars since the days of jesus there are wars and rumors of wars in our days there have been wars and rumors of wars in the last 100 years But there will be wars and rumours of wars until the day that he returns. He knows all that's going on in the nations and nothing is going to catch him off guard. His eyes are like blazing fire. He sees everything. The gaze of Jesus is penetrating. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when Jesus sees you, he sees all of you. He sees you in your best moments and he sees you in your worst moments. He sees the days that you're proud of and he sees the days that you hope that nobody else knows ever existed. He sees everything. His eyes are like fire, lighting up the darkest part of your soul and seeing every single thing. But just like fire, it doesn't just expose that which is hidden in darkness, but it also purifies and cleanses. Jesus sees all of our sin, but do you know what? Jesus doesn't look away in shock or in shame. He doesn't look at your sin and go, oh, I can't look at that. He looks at your sin in such a way that it burns it off you and you're purified by his look upon your soul. Psalm 139, which we probably all know because we talk about being fearfully and wonderfully made, but at the very end of it, it says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He sees And he purges and he cleanses. In verse 15, we're told his feet are like burnished bronze refined in the furnace. The feet of burnished bronze, that he's stable and standing firm in his two feet. Christ and his kingdom rests on that firm foundation. All other kingdoms are shaky and will rise and will fall. But the kingdom of Jesus will endure forever. Cleansed in the furnace is again speaking about that purity that wherever Christ goes he brings purity with him. That when the message of the gospel is proclaimed, that which is evil will disappear. That which is revulsive to God will fall away and he'll burn it up. And his voice, which beforehand was like a trumpet, now sounds like the rushing waters. The sound of water in the Niagara Falls has to be an impressive sound. It must fill the entire area around it. And yet, just like in the movies, you know, when they jump off into the river, to escape and the next thing they hear the roaring sound of the waterfall there is a danger to be had there as well at the same time there's incredible beauty my sister oh years ago now went jumping off at victoria falls in zambia she would not do it now i tell you but 111 meters drop she jumped um she didn't tell mom and dad that she had done it till she got back and showed them the photos i think even then mum's heart is still racing a little bit to think Um, But thankfully, her favorite child wouldn't do something like that. Uh, And and what's what's important, though, is that she went away, and all she did was she brought me back a T-shirt. But the pictures above and below are stunning. The magnificence of the Victoria Falls and the beauty that is above it and below it. But not for a second would you want to stand under it, for you would be carried away in the destructive nature of it all. There is beauty in the things that are terrifying. There is something to behold in it all. And yet at the same time, you wouldn't want to be in there. Next thing we're told is that Jesus, uh, after his feet, after his voice in his right hand, he held seven stars. Now we're told over the page that these seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now whether that means that every church has an angel, I honestly can't tell you. Whether that means actually should be interpreted as a messenger or someone who's here to deliver the letter, I can tell you. There are lots of people in one camp and lots of people in the other, and I haven't made up my mind yet. And maybe if you ever heard me preach this, and if the Lord spares me 20, 30 years, I might know, but I don't know, but I know this. That the morning stars sang with glory is another way of talking about the angels singing at the creation of the world. And if our God holds in his right hand something as powerful and splendid as the angels, as powerful and splendid as stars in the sky which burn with a real ferocity, that if we were even the slightest bit closer to our star, the sun, we would have no life on this earth. And he holds something as powerful and as glorious as that in his hands something that we cannot imagine a source of power and security right there and out of his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword and this is why we can't read everything that John is saying as being literal Jesus does not walk about in heaven with a sword hanging out of his mouth but it's telling us that his word is sharper than any double-edged sword as Hebrews puts it penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God cuts through the faff and the nonsense that we hear in this world and the faff and the nonsense that we put up and protest to God and say, no, 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 I'm actually all right. And then you read the word of God and your heart is exposed for what you really are and what this world really is. And then what of his face? Do we ever find out what Jesus looks like? We get no description of his physical features at all. All we're told is that his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance, just like the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration when the veil is lifted and they see the glory of Jesus shining through. And then John falls at his feet in worship, floored by who he sees. Do you ever do the thought... Experiment of what would happen if you did see Jesus. What your reaction would be. What would you do? How would you react? What would your gut instinct be? Would it be to hide? Would it be to run to him? Would it be to fall down? I think whenever you consider what your gut reaction is to the possibility that Jesus might appear in front of us all now. It tells us a lot about the condition of our heart. If we want to hide, we don't see him as a saviour. We see him only as a judge. If we want to run to him, I think that tells you something wonderful. And I still think even if you want to fall down as though dead in front of him, it tells you something wonderful too, because you reckon with who you're standing before. But to hide is not an option. Not for those who claim to be Jesus's finally let's look very quickly at what does jesus say because his first words are the words given to everyone who comes into contact with the divine or something glorious do not be afraid and how does he describe himself i am the first and the last jesus is the beginning and the end the alpha the omega and he takes the words of god from isaiah and speaks them of himself there have been none before him and there will be none after him he is the first the last there is no other and he says, I am the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's a wonderful Easter Sunday morning sermon, hiding in there, but it's true every single day, just like the old ad used to be, a dog is for life, not just for Christmas. The resurrection is for life, not just Easter Sunday morning. And notice he doesn't say, I, I, I will be, I was, he says, I am, I am am the living one he was dead he had died on the cross he had given up his life he was dead and buried they had rammed the spear into his side just to be absolutely certain about it and he looks at John and he says behold I love that because that's him saying hey would you look at me John would you reckon with who it is that's standing right now in front of you I was dead but Behold, I am alive forever and ever. Jesus is now alive forever. He tasted death and didn't like the taste of it. And he will never taste it again. He lives now forever. And look, he says, inviting John, look up and see. I hold what in my hand, the keys of death and of Hades. No one else, Jesus in conquering death, rose again with the keys in his hands. No one else has that. Jesus removed the enemy's chief weapon of death when he rose again from the dead. There's a wonderful line from a song Andrew Peterson wrote, a fantastic songwriter. And it it taps into this idea that the greatest hope we ever had was when Jesus' lifeless body took his first breath ah, in the grave and came to life. His heart beats and his blood begins to flow, waking up that was dead just a moment ago. And his heart beats and now everything has changed because the blood that brought us peace with God is racing through his veins and his heart beats and he breathes in, his living lungs expand, the heavy air surrounding death turns to breath again and he breathes out and the Lamb of God slain for us is a lion ready to roar and his heart beats and he took one breath and put death to death. In the midst of these seven churches that this letter is being written to who are suffering, suffering, and have witnessed their brothers and sisters being murdered for their faith, Jesus addresses them and tells them to write this down. Jesus is coming to the churches filled with fear about what future might hold, and he comes to them with a comfort that is far greater than an arm around the shoulder saying, now, now, everything's going to be all right. He's reminding them who he is, he's reminding them what he has done, he's reminding them of his power, and he is going to remind them of what he will do. Jesus comes forward and says hey eyes up look at me don't be afraid who am I I am the first and the last I am the living one I was dead but now I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and to Hades so brothers and sisters with this last thought I don't know what's going on in your life or what you're thinking or how you feel about the Lord Jesus himself but in all of this this vision of Jesus which confronts us and reminds us of how wonderful, how wonderfully glorious and powerful he is, we remember that he is calling us to lift our eyes up, off this world, off our situations, off our problems, and to consider again he who is risen, who is powerful, and who is coming again. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for such a wonderful and glorious vision of who you are and what it is that you have done. We thank you that you are the living one, that you in your resurrection have given us such a wonderful hope of a life that is to come and a life that we can enjoy now. Lord, we pray that you would indeed enlarge our vision of who you are, that we would not try to fit you into a box of our own and making, but that we would reckon with the Holy One of Israel the God who has died and risen again and the hope that we have now because of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.